Our research shows that over 50% of the applications that are used in different businesses, they are not covered by single sign-on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Good to have you back, Joe. It's good to be back, Dave. I want to give a big thanks to Graham for sitting in for me last week. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, great to have him on, but it's good to have you back. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, I speak with Yasser Masudnia from LastPass. We're going to talk about single sign-on. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. So how do you train people to recognize and resist social engineering? Here are some things people think. Test them. And if they fall for a test scam, fire them. Or other people say if someone flunks the test, shame them. Instead of employee of the month, it's doofus of the day. Or maybe you pass out a gift card to the one who gets the A-plus for skepticism in the face of phishing. So how about it? What do you think? Carrots or sticks? What would you do? Later in the show, we'll hear what the experts at Know Before have to say. They're the sponsors of this show. And we are back. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us this week? Dave, this week I'm talking about an article from Eric Volkman over at Fish Labs. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a social media article. Social media has become part of our daily lives. Sure, use, sure, yeah. We use it every day. And not only that, but companies use it for their marketing. Right. It's become a huge platform for how we operate in our lives. And it's fair to say that it's pervasive. What, what does that make it? Obviously, that makes it a target for bad guys. Right, sure. Anywhere where there's a lot of people gathered together. Right. There's going to be bad guys. Even Mm -hmm. if you have a large group of people gathered together in person, there's going to be pickpockets. Right. right? Opportunists. And we have talked about some of these things before, but this article does a good job of summing up all the dangers in the social media arena. I have reordered these and put what I consider the biggest threats first. Okay. And the first one for social media is intelligence gathering. I think this is the biggest risk that social media presents. It lets people see things about us that they wouldn't otherwise be able to see. Like, for example, what was your first dog's name, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You may have posted that on Facebook at some point in time, and it's still available to people who want to find that out if you have that information public. Mm -hmm. That information may also be used at some point in time to reset a password for you. Right. Right. So this kind of stuff can be used in account takeover, but it can also be used in social engineering you, right? Somebody could be impersonating, which is the next item on the list, is impersonation. But these two go hand in hand, impersonation and intelligence gathering. So if I want to impersonate somebody and get to you, I'm going to try to impersonate somebody you knew from long ago. It might be on your friends list. It might not be. But I'm going to look at your Facebook page or your Twitter account or your Instagram, and I'm going to find out information about you. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to present myself as a very realistic impersonation Mm -hmm. that you might not be able to detect. Yeah. So you can find out where I went to high school and call me up as my old buddy from high school or or something, or I guess even better, someone who was not my old buddy from high school, just someone from my high school. Correct. <laughs> the less I knew them, I guess the less suspicious I'd be. Right. What you might sound like all these years later. Yeah, absolutely. The next one I think is kind of important on here is credential theft. And we've talked about this on different platforms. We talked about it happening on Discord as well. You know, you might not think of that as a social media platform. Once a bad guy has stolen credentials from a social media account, they're going to use that to propagate the theft of credentials to all your friends. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a very frequent tactic. Mm -hmm. Right. So now that I have access to your account, I'm going to try to gain access to the accounts of all your friends and I'm going to send the same kind of link out. 
And actually, I got one of these on Facebook, I think like a week and a half ago, two weeks yeah, ago. I got one yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, have you seen this video of you? Right. Click here. Yeah. Yep. I got I got one that was very simple. I said, hey, did you do this? And it's it's a link. <laughs> I do I, lots of things, Joe. Right. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have to be more specific. Right. So I actually sent a message. I said, hey, did you send this? And the guy eventually responded and said, no, no, my account was hacked. Fortunately, I didn't click on the link because generally I don't click on links in these chats. This guy is my friend on Facebook, but I haven't talked to him in years. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. And asking me, hey, is this you? That's not something this guy would do. The next kind of scams that happen on here are the romance scams. Right. And to a lesser extent, the Nigerian print scams. Mm -hmm. Right. Very few people fall for these Nigerian print scams. People still fall for them, but, you know, because they're still going on. Yeah. If people didn't fall for them, they wouldn't be doing them. But the romance scams are the most insidious scam on these sites mm -hmm. because they're going to take advantage of somebody's loneliness and they're going to exploit that to get money out of these people. Yeah. And I hate seeing these things happen to people. I, I really do. My wife gets probably one of these a week. Does she? Mm-hmm. My wife also gets them frequently, but I do not. I generally don't. No, I don't either. I get them on Instagram occasionally, but not on Facebook, not on Twitter, nowhere else. Yeah. The ones my wife gets are the, the textbook ones with some military person who's handsome and... Looking for, yeah, to take care of someone. I mean, it just pushes all the buttons. But, right. uh, you know, she comes over with a picture of uh, this handsome guy in a uniform and she's like, what do you think? What do you think, dear? Should, you know, <laughs> should I leave you for him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, getting lots of offers here. So right. uh, <laughs> you better step your game mind up, Dave. Your, right, exactly. Mind your manners there, bucko. Yeah. The last one that we really have no control over, and that's why I kind of put it last, is there's really nothing we can do. It's just the data dumps that happen from these things. And it's usually not actually the companies. It's not like Facebook or Twitter. It's usually some affiliate company mm -hmm. that has had a bunch of data. And we hear about these things happening from time to time where they've left an Amazon bucket unsecured on the web and somebody just goes out and downloads the entire database. You know, there's nothing we can do about that. Really, the best way to protect yourself from a lot of these scams is particularly the credential theft is use two-factor authentication, yeah. some manner of two-factor authentication. Uh, and to protect yourself from impersonation information gathering, lock your permissions down. Make mm -hmm. sure that nobody outside of your friends can see what's going on inside your account. Right. To take control over what's public facing. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then with regard to the romance scams, be suspicious of anybody that reaches out to you on Facebook or any of these social media sites. It's probably a scam. People don't look for romance on these platforms. Yeah. At least not people our age. Maybe younger people do. I don't know. Who knows? It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been in the dating pool, Dave. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> same, same. All right, well, it's a good list for sure. And uh, of course, we'll have a link to the article in the show notes. Yes. My story this week has to do with people trying to drum up fear in order to sell you something. You know, I, I think we've seen statistics over the last several decades that overall, communities have gotten safer. Right. Right. Crime is down. Yep. Violent crime is way down. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. And, and uh, people have different opinions on yep. what has caused that. But I think there's agreement that the actual violent crime numbers are down pretty much nationwide here, at least in the U.S. Yes. So this story was from the uh, Press and Guide, which is from Dearborn, Michigan. And they were talking about an email scam that was trying to convince local residents that crime is up in order to sell them security cameras. Huh. 
So this email has been making the rounds, been targeting local people and has been saying they actually talked to the police chief in Dearborn. And he said recently some residents have reported receiving a suspicious email claiming Dearborn crime has increased 78 percent and residents should purchase security cameras. Hmm. This is a scam email. I want all residents to know that this email did not come from the city of Dearborn or the city council. And he said, actually, crime is down 14 percent over last year. Right. (laughs) You know, I think this is a good example of one of those things where if you read it on the Internet, it must be true. And it's easy to push those emotional buttons with people to try to scare them into purchasing something. Hey, did you know that crime is up 78 percent? And if you want to be a good person and protect yourself and your family, well, just click here. Right. And we're either going to sell you a video camera, a security camera to protect yourself, or who knows where this link is going to go. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to pretend like we're going to sell you a security camera. The other thing that that I thought of that's a possibility here that I think is not unlikely, but, you know, when you've been doing this as long as you and I have, these are the things you think about. Right. um, (laughs) Which is somebody could sell you a video camera that is basically preset to be used in some sort of botnet or something. Right. You know, it sell you an insecure video camera. It's a sort of pre-pwned, <laughs> pre-pwned, security, pre-pwned security camera. Yeah, Dave, you just gave me a great business idea. <laughs> I think the odds of that are extremely unlikely, but right, I don't know. Anything's possible. It these is. Days, right? You know, I have a couple of sayings about statistics. There are uh, one of them comes from an old high school teacher of mine. He said, "There are lies, there are damnable lies, and then there are statistics." Yeah. Another one comes from a friend of mine who said that when you ask a statistician what the statistics say, a good statistician says, what do you want them to say? <laughs> right? right. These statistics might be complete and total bunk in here. And, uh-huh. they, you know, but, you know, generally across the board in, in the U.S., violent crime is down over the long term trend. Right. There, there may be a, a small uptick in it right now. And in some places like in Baltimore City, violent crime is up. But overall, the country is safer than it has been in the past. Yeah. Uh, just something to keep an eye out for. And, and again, a lot of this is just informing your your friends, your relatives, your family members. Oh, that awareness that these things are out there right. will help inoculate them to these sorts of emotional appeals. Yeah, this is a fear appeal. Two things drive these kind of scams, fear and greed. And right. This right. is fear. Right. It's a little of both. It's right. a, they're trying to sell you a video camera. So there's some greed there on their part. Right. Uh, using the fear to do it. Right. All right. Well, that's my story this week. It's time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day this week is a good one. This is an email and uh, the title of the email is Winning Amount. It goes like this. It says, my name is Mark Zuckerberg. <gasps> a philanthropist, the founder and CEO of the social networking website Facebook, as well as one of the world's youngest billionaires and chairman of the Mark Zuckerberg Charitable Foundation. Wow, we are very lucky. We've gotten an email from the Mark Zuckerberg. Indeed. One of the largest private foundations in the world. I believe strongly in giving while living. I had one idea that never changed in my mind, that you should use your wealth to help people, and I have decided to secretly give $1.5 million to randomly select individuals worldwide. On receipt of this email, you should count yourself as the lucky individual. Your email address was chosen online while searching at random. Kindly get back to me at your earliest convenience so I know your email address is valid. Email me at mzuckerberg2444 at (laughs) gmail.com. Visit the webpage to know more about me, wikipedia.org slash Mark Zuckerberg, or you can just Google me. Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) Regards, Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, uh, who do you think this guy's trying to impersonate, Dave? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got an email from Mark Zuckerberg. A couple of things struck me here. First of all, I think it's a little odd that Mark Zuckerberg would be using a Gmail account. Yep. <laughs> right. Well, he does want to keep this on the DL, Dave. Oh, that's true. That's, yeah, that's he, true. He's secretly giving secretly away $1.5 giving $1. Away. million dollars to lucky people. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Explain I, that to the IRS. It, the it, yeah. <laughs> is this the first email in an advanced fee scam, do you think? It, likely. Yeah. Who, who knows? Right. I think this is setting the hook. This is the first. Once they get you to reply to this. Who knows what path they're going to take you down. But right. we just talked about it. greed. Right. Here we go. This is the greed. Greed. I'm going to get $1.5 million from Mark Zuckerberg. Everybody knows this guy's swimming in dough. Right. <laughs> right. He's got more of that filthy green stuff that he knows what to do with. So, right. of course, he's going to give it away. So, needless to say, not the real Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. Uh, Without <laughs> a doubt. No, no. That one goes in the trash. All right, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, I speak with Yasser Madsudnia from LastPass about single sign-on. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. Let's return to our sponsor, Know Before's question. Carrots or sticks? Stu Showerman, Know Before's CEO, is definitely a carrot man. You train people, he argues, in order to build a healthy security culture. And sticks don't do that. Approach your people like the grown-ups they are, and they'll respond. Learning how to see through social engineering can be as much fun as learning how a conjuring trick works. Hear more of Stu's perspectives in Know Before's weekly Cyber Heist News. We read it, and we think you'll find it valuable, too. Sign up for Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com news. That's K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four, dot com slash news. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Yasser Masudnia from LastPass. Actually, this is in response to a listener who wrote in who was asking about single sign-on and had some questions about how useful that is. Basically, I, I think the thing we hear about with single sign-on is that aren't you just putting all your eggs in one basket? Hmm. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to single sign-on. So I thought, well, let's reach out to someone who knows all about this. Right. Yasser is the head of identity access management at LogMeIn. They're the folks who make LastPass, so knows a thing or two about this stuff. Here's my interview with Yasser Masudnia. The initial problem that everyone's trying to solve with single sign-on is the fact that as we, at some point, we started the number of applications that people use in daily work and also at work, it's growing. So the number of accounts that the users need to manage it are growing. And you'll have more apps, more accounts, more password and username, password credential that you need to manage. And there are obviously security risks around using one set of credential, a username, a password across all the accounts. And it's always this question around how many passwords normal users using across all the accounts that they are logging into and how strong is the password and whether they rotate that or not. And all of these affect the fact that if one of my password as a user is compromised, then basically the intruder would have access to that password, username and password, and they can use it across different accounts in, uh, to access my information and my application. The single sign-on solution came to the market as a tool that companies can use for their internal users and also later for their external also for eliminating the need of having multiple username and password 
and use one set of credential to log in to one solution or one tool. And from there, the user will have access to multiple application or multiple account, and they won't need to enter their username and password separately for different accounts or need to manage different username and password for different accounts. From my understanding here, basically, I will log into a single service, and then that service will take care of logging in securely to all of the different platforms and websites and, and things that I need to use throughout my day. That is correct. I think a lot of people think that isn't this the same sort of putting your eggs in one basket as you would have if you were just using a single password for all of your things that you logged into. Can you explain the difference there? That's not the correct perception. There are multiple point of contacts or point of attacks that we need to discuss to mm. address this question. The first is you, we're not using one set of username and password across all our portfolio of application that we use. Or what is happening, the user will have one master username or let's say password that they use to log into one account. And that account through different integrations will communicate with different applications to log the user into their account. And there are different vendors have different approach, but there are ways that you can secure that access from one point of authentication or one point of access to the rest of applications. For instance, there are some applications that use SAML integration. So you can authenticate the user once on the service provider side, and then the service provider can basically communicate through certificate-based type of authentication to the application that the user wants to use and authenticate the user and give them access. That is, for instance, let's say SAML integration, which is a form of XML integration. It provides certificate authentication that is way more secure than entering a username and password for the user. There are other approach for single sign-on. For instance, there are some applications where they don't offer SAML integration or SSO capabilities. In those cases, we can use capabilities like playing, replaying the password or what password management solution do. And in case of, for instance, LastPass, what we do is user would have one set of username and password that would be their master password. And that master password encrypt all of the username and password that user use across different applications and securely store them on the vault. For instance, LastPass won't have access to the user credentials, the server, and no one will have access to the user's credential because the user at the master password is used to encrypt all of those information in the user's vault. And every time user wanted to log into one of those applications, the user master password decrypt that information and pass that information to the application. So for instance, in the case of LastPass, from the user's browser out, there is no access to the username and password that the user has for different application. And that's why they call it zero knowledge, because no one knows what it is. We as LastPass team won't have access to that username password for different accounts and even master password. And the user is the only person who holds the key to that kingdom. 
something that I hear pretty regularly in terms of pushback on using a password manager is, well, uh, you know, I've got that master password and doesn't that create a single point of failure? Doesn't that create a vulnerable place? If someone gets that master password, well, now they've got the keys to my whole kingdom. It could be correct, but there are ways to secure that. For instance, you can rotate your master password regularly. You, What we recommend always for our user to do is adding uh, multi-factor authentication on top of that master password. So you won't rely on one factor, which is your master password, and use the multi-factor authentication to have a more secure access to your account or to your wallet. That is the key to having the key to the kingdom. What are the common misunderstandings that people have when it comes to single sign-on? There are a few things. As you mentioned, one is, okay, that's the key to the kingdom. And if that's compromised, then it results in compromising all the accounts. That is not the case because there are ways to secure that. And that username and password is not used for across the different accounts in LastPass, there are tools that application that LastPass allows the user to generate a strong password, very long password for different accounts and store them on the vault securely. So all of their accounts, all of my accounts, for instance, as a user will have a different credential and very strong credential, very strong password, 16 or even longer digit password that I can use for different accounts. And I don't need to know them because LastPass simply managed that from that password across different devices that I use. And all of them are secured by my master password that I'm the only one who owns that. And then I put uh, multi-factor authentication on top of that to secure. That's one misconception. The other misconception is that, okay, if we deploy SSO, we can cover with single sign-on we can cover all the application. That's not the case. So our research shows that over 50% of the application that are used in different businesses, they are not covered by single sign-on. So you need additional tools. You need a password management to secure access on to, to those applications. Um, now, in, for instance, LastPass, we have SSO capabilities with 1,200 applications that you can do single sign-on through different single sign-on integration. But on top of that, you'll have the password management that allows you to cover other applications that you don't have, that they don't cover uh, single sign. There are always applications, for instance, that they don't come out of the box with SSO integration. You need to pay more uh, to get the SSO capabilities. And often businesses, they don't buy more expensive license that comes with SSO. So simply the single sign-on. So you need to, again, have a password management. And also research shows that ITs, they don't have access. They don't, they're not able to manage all of the users, uh, all of the accounts that were application that users use in their organization. So they cannot force single sign-on capability to those applications. And in those cases, the password management would be a better tool to help the user to secure their access to the application that are not managed with the IT team. So really, I guess the notion here is that between single sign-on and a password manager, that combination really covers all the bases. Exactly. When the customers wanted to choose their single sign-on solution and or password management solutions, uh, there are a few things that I would recommend them to consider. 
One of those points is that if they can choose a solution that has a strong single sign-on capabilities and password management capabilities, it allows them to use one vendor, have a simple integration, and have one place to manage all the user's access and also force policies to the users and have a monitoring capabilities around the user access from one place. If that solution comes with the multi-factor authentication, that would be a better option. So you can secure the way that user will have access to their a single sign-on or password management vault. So those are the things that helps the customer to manage everything from one place, all of the user's access requirements from one place, and make sure everything is done properly and securely. They need to also verify how the vendor is managing the user's certificates and have whether they're using encryption over their assertion. There are certain security elements that I would recommend the customers to take a look at and make sure the vendor is doing the right job in securing the keys to the other application, whether it's password management and use the store's different credentials, or whether it use certificate for SAML integrations, and how those secure, and whether who has access to those credentials. For instance, in the case of that solutions like LastPass that has the zero knowledge capabilities and no one within the organizations or no one outside the user, basically browser will have access to that uh, keys to the kingdom. That's a great combat capabilities that they need to make sure it's in place. All right. So lots of good information there. Do you feel like we have a good understanding of what single sign-on is and is not? Yeah, it's a way of reducing friction for users. And we've been doing this in the enterprise environment where I'm all on board, where we will piggyback off of other authentication devices like like Active Directory or, in my case, what we actually piggybacked off of. I didn't do the development on this, but uh, it was LiveLink, which is a document management system. But you would sign into LiveLink to gain access to an application that we had developed because it integrated with the workflows and everything. In the enterprise, I'm, I'm really a big fan of this. And that LastPass offers this as another service, that's great. I'm not a fan of using authentication from sites like social media sites. Like sometimes you'll see log in with your Google account or log in with your Facebook account. Right. I I don't want to do that. And it's not because I don't trust the security of their authentication mechanism at Google or Facebook. It's because I just don't want this other site getting my Google and Facebook information. because you don't trust Google or Facebook. And because I don't trust Google and Facebook, right? Yeah. Uh, 100% true. Yeah. Uh, That being said, I will use my Twitter account to authenticate to things, but only for things that are related to Twitter, like my Bitly account, Mm, right? mm -hmm. And I use that to generate links for my Twitter and other social media posts. I would definitely trust LastPass or a similar company with single sign-on more than I would trust these other social media companies because their business model is we're going to take money from you to secure your single sign-on. And that's a service we're going to provide for you. And that's our business model is you pay us to do that, Mm -hmm. right? Our business model isn't you're the product. Yeah. And (laughs) 
Their and, incentives are aligned exactly. with doing a good job on. This isn't some little side business for right. them. Right. And <laughs> it's funny that Yasser mentions you know, the keys to the kingdom argument. I get this all the time when I talk about using a password manager, which LastPass is, yeah. or a different one if you want to use it. The last talk I gave, I said, the first thing you're going to do if you're going to do one thing is you're going to use multi-factor authentication. If you're going to do two things, you're going to do multi-factor authentication and use a password manager. Mm. And I got the question, what happens if the password manager is compromised? Right. I said, well, <laughs> were you listening to thing one? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. That's what I said. I said, you know, you got you got to remember that is a big problem. But if you secure your password manager with a physical token like a YubiKey or even something like a, a one-time password that's time-based, mm -hmm. uh, then your chances of being compromised go down exponentially. Yeah. Almost to zero. Yeah. All right. Interesting conversation. Thanks to Yasser Masunia from LastPass for joining us. That is our podcast. Of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before, whose new school security awareness training will help you keep your people on their toes with security at the top of their mind. Stay current about the state of social engineering by subscribing to their Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com slash news. Think of Know Before for your security training. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Ivan. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.